0: Hey guys, Peter Lewis here, and I pray that this week's message encourages you to the core. I just pray that the Spirit of God, uh, as you listen, um, just gives you great faith, strengthens you, uh, awakens you to what really matters in the Christian faith, uh, and gives you the confidence that no matter what's happening in the world around you, um, you will overcome uh, by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Um, And so be encouraged. I pray it blesses you deeply. Love you guys so much. Amen. All right, go to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read a lot of Bible. If you love the Bible, say amen. Oh, can I say one thing about worship? Did y'all notice we were singing about giving God glory for about 40 minutes? I used to have a hard time connecting my heart to that phrase about giving God glory. I didn't know what that meant. And usually it was accompanied by incredible melodies that I would sing. And then about 30 minutes later, I'm like, what am I singing? Is anyone relate? I just gave some of you permission. You're like, wait a minute. Um, I realized that glory, one of the words for glory in the Bible is kabod. It's, it's the weighty glory of God. It's, it's, it's a weight. And the way I interpret it now, and I'm sure there's a number of interpretations, but the way I connect my heart to those songs that, that really ministers to me and I know ministers to the Lord is that the glory of God is the goodness of God. It's everything good about God. And to give God glory, you have to have glory. You cannot give God something that you don't have. This is why a lot of our hearts don't necessarily connect with that song. We're like, this just it feels like the right thing to do to give God all the glory, but we don't really have we don't really know what glory is. And here's how I interpret that and get my heart in line with that phrase in that in those those choruses is that everything good in my life. Every nice thing that anyone has said about me, the beauty of my wife, the the glory of my children, the glory of this wonderful church home, my health, my strength, my legs, my breath, every good thing that I have comes from God. It's glory. My good looks. (laughs) What? You gotta have glory. Who said amen? Come here, I love you. I did not hear a loud enough amen from my wife. That's okay. Oh, that was you. Okay. <laughs> I, w- I heard many amens. I was like, yeah. So, you have to have glory. So, this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, everything good that I have, I know that I wasn't meant to carry it around because it's heavy. Goodness that comes from God is heavy. You weren't meant to carry it into, 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 figure out how to possess it. You were meant to just give it back to God. We sang, it, we sang it this morning. All it comes from you, and it goes back to you. That's the beauty and the amazingness of that song. Okay? Amen. So when you hear that, you can connect your heart. All right. I just had to get that off of my, my chest. First John 5, 4 um, says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Sometimes you got to wait and just let yourself catch up to what you read. Yeah, there it goes. (laughs) For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, say victory, Victory. that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And I want to remind us this morning about what we believe. That's what we're going to do this morning. You're going to leave this morning strengthened in the faith. Because this faith is the victory that overcomes the world and how many of you know right now our world our nation there's a lot of wildness happening i know you know because the airwaves are filled with news and knowledge about what's happening in our nation on a political realm the immorality, sexual immorality, sexual brokenness, injustices, murders, like it's filling the airwaves. All of the darkness in our nation is filling the airwaves. But one of the things I love about Jesus and I love about the Christian faith is that you and I were born again to overcome all of that. I like overcoming. I don't like being overcome. You weren't designed to be overcome by sin and darkness and death and to live under a cloak of shame and heaviness and oh my gosh, the big bad world. Church, I wanna I wanna exhort you from my heart, we have to stop being surprised by the darkness in the world. Too many believers are are. Somehow, they're spending too much time being surprised at the darkness in the world. We sung it this morning. God, catch me up in your story all my life for your glory. Well, if you're born again, if you're born of God, I want to tell you, you have been caught up into an amazing story. And it goes like this. (laughs) Sin entered the world... Through a guy named Adam. And ever since then, sin has been producing all manner of wickedness and darkness and things that would cause, you know, it cause us to blush if we were to talk about it. There is nothing new under the sun. The sexual immorality, the brokenness, the injustices, the bloodshed, all the things happening in our nation, let me tell you, have happened before. There is nothing new. Happening right now. And at the root of all of it, and this is a paramount principle for the church. See, see, I see the church, and we're talking about all of the symptoms or the fruits of sin. You name them, they they, they show up on news headlines. People get, get murdered for no reason. It's awful sex trafficking, it's horrific. The political corruption, people using other people as pawns and political gain, and all the it's everywhere. The 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 agendas with the sexual brokenness and all of the things seeking to indoctrinate. Na da 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 da. -da. It is it is fruit, but at the root there is a common thread called sin. It is sin. At the root and as Christians we must be unified in our approach to sin we cannot be divided because here's what happens is we're we're having all these conversations about the symptoms of sin in our nation trying to find some sort of resolution and we're not we're we're we're, we're clanging symbols and everyone's fighting for attention pointing out to the symptoms and very few people are pointing to the root of the chaos in our nation I can tell you with certainty, as a son of God, that what's happening to our nation is something called sin. There is a a certain sense of peace and shalom that will fill your heart when you know that the venom or the what's at work is sin. So now all of a sudden you have permission to stop freaking out about all of the symptoms and go, okay, what does the Bible say about sin? How should I respond to sin in the world? How should I respond to sin in me? How should I respond to sin in my fellow believers? And this is what I want to remind us this morning, that we as as sons and daughters of God, those who have been born of God, the Bible promises that we will overcome the world. What does that mean? It means that I can hear news articles about the chaos and not put my head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't happen, pretend that, that the statistics aren't saying what they're saying. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm very aware that what's happening in my kids' public school, that there is, a, there is sin at work in my kids' public school that they're in. I have, I'm going to have four kids in public school next year, and I'm very aware, I'm very aware of what's happening in the school. Very aware. We, we make it a point to stay aware, but we also make it a point. I heard the father tell me, he says, I don't want you to be afraid for your children. This is what Israel, they were afraid to enter into the, promise, into the promised land because they said these giants are gonna kill our children. And God was displeased with them because they were worried about their children. And God said, do you not think that I knew when your children would be born? So I'm aware of the darkness, and yet I'm more aware of the light. I'm more aware of the majesty of Jesus. I'm more aware of the power of the gospel. And so I want my, my, my children to be filled with the knowledge of God. Why? So that they can fill that school with the knowledge of God. That's not just hype, that's not just emotionalism, that's the fact and the reality of the Bible. Those who are born of God will overcome the world. How do you know the world is overcoming you? You know the world is overcoming you because your, your consciousness is filled with what's happening in the world. And you're responding emotionally and mentally mentally. And in all of your conversations to what's happening in the world, not what happened is happening in heaven and not what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. This is what we covenanted to do as Christians. When you said, God, I surrender my life to you, you said this. You said, God, I'm purposing no longer to be obsessed with the world, but to be obsessed with you and to live my life accordingly. When you see Jesus, it's an event. To see God is an event. You hear people talk about all the time they they were at a sports game. Oh, were you at, I was at Nolan Ryan's seventh no-hitter. I was present at the game. People said, wow. Wow. I saw the game, it was an event. It was a historic event if you know baseball. I was there, I had a, was a little boy and I got a beer thrown on me. I'll never forget the feeling of being baptized in beer. I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> oh. Seeing God is an event. You can't look at God and be the same. You can't see God and see who he is and what he's done and just stay the same. It, it does something to your insides. The same way when you look at a beautiful mountain range and you're like, you exhale and you're like, oh, wow. When you see God, the very substance of God comes inside of you. Why? Because the air around God is different. Like God... The, the molecules of air around God are different. They, they smell different. They taste different. They make you feel some kind of way. Your heart begins to get confident and be built up, and all of a sudden, the darkness doesn't feel dark. Why? Because you are light, and you're in the presence of light. And this is what we need, church, in this hour. We need courage. We need strength. We need a strong, living, vital faith that doesn't ignore the darkness, but that goes, wow, I am a burning one because I bear the image of my creator, and I'm going to go into the world, and I'm gonna shine, and I'm not gonna be afraid of it. I'm gonna go if I'm gonna be a teacher, a politician, or in the entertainment industry, or, or start gospel crusades to declare the beautiful majesty of the gospel. This is what we need in this hour. This is not a time to shrink back but unless it's it's our faith that overcomes the world it's not your faith you see people get alone in their closet like it's my faith no it's not you don't get to have a faith apart from the christian church that has existed since pentecost it is our faith people can't deconstruct the faith everyone's afraid of people deconstructing the christ you can't deconstruct the christian faith it's forever, and it centers upon Jesus. You can either get in line with it because it's an eternal foundation, or you were never on it. You think some clever people in different parts of the earth, and they're, hmm, oh, I'm going to deconstruct. No, you're deconstructing some man-made experience you had. Yeah, right. And rightfully so. Deconstruct it to the bones until you find yourself upon the rock. Because when your life is founded upon the rock, guess what? You're going to be standing until he comes shining like a star going, I'm ready for you. My master, my savior, my Lord, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to quit come hell or high water. Persecution coming at me. You can threaten me with death all you want. People talking about you're going to take, take this and that from me. You cannot take something from me that you never gave to me. I'm not living for this earth. I'm not living for, for, for the rights. People talk about their rights. and Listen, let's fight for the rights, but let's seek the kingdom of God. Let's seek the kingdom of God. And I trust that as we seek the kingdom of God and we manifest and mature as sons and daughters, we're going to see righteousness fill the earth. Oh, I, I pray... This this season that we're in as the church that you give yourself over to maturing into the image of Christ. There is not a, a more glorious journey than to give yourself to mature into his image, into his likeness. Every other thing is a distraction. Every other thing is a distraction. The Christian faith promises that we can actually mature as a people into his likeness. I cannot think of a higher calling and a higher story than that. That sin would be broken off of my life. I used to be a professional sinner. I was a professional. Did y'all know that? I was, I, I used, I was a professional at it. I was so good at it. I was so good at it. I was running the game in North Dallas. And then I met Jesus. And now, I, I still sin. But it is really, really difficult. That just offended some of you. It's difficult. Because for the last 15 years... I have purposed in my heart. Listen, I'm not perfect. She will testify to you. I testify publicly. I yelled at my kids before I came to service last night. Yelled at them. I think for a good reason. (laughs) Because I was in my flesh. (laughs) But the more that I see God, the more that I've lived purposing to put my heart upon him, the harder it is to live for myself, to live in sin, to live bound in self-consciousness. And this is where we're heading. God wants you to overcome. He wants you to be filled with the new wine of the new covenant, to be joyful, to be glad. He's breaking the spirit of grumpy off the church in this hour. There's too many grumpy Christians taking themselves way too seriously. You're not that important. You're just not that important. Your sin, your sin, does not impress God. And it should not impress the leadership of the church. Your sin doesn't impress me. I'm not impressed by it. I'm, I'm just not. I'm impressed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to minimize your pain, but I will not idolize your sin. There's a difference. Let the Father heal your pain. Bring your pain to him. But you put your sin away. And it's time to live free. It's time to drink. Listen, listen. The very first church service, everyone looking thought the people were drunk. There is a value to being intoxicated by God. The most intoxicated people that we read about, the people looking, they go, these people are drunk. Meaning, physically, they were overcome by the Spirit. Oh, what has he been drinking? But those intoxicated people were the most sober-minded about the Great Commission. They were the most on-purpose, on-fire, holy, sanctified, set-apart, not some emotionalism. They were possessed with God. I'm surprised that those folks filled with the Holy Ghost on Pentecost, that that's all that it looked like, is that they were just been drinking a little wine. Come on, we believe that God lives in us. How do we not just like levitate or explode? Y'all are laughing at me. I don't know what you believe. We, we believe that God lives in us. Do you not know, the Bible says, that your, temp, your, body, your body, your body, your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know? Do you not know? That's what the Bible says. Do you not know? Do, don't you know? Don't you know? Didn't you know? Don't you know? Your body is a temple. What's he saying? God lives in there. So next time you go to look at something, pornography or engage in sexual immorality, be reminded that God lives in there. Just be reminded that God is in there. And I wonder if the consciousness of God being in there, when you go to look at your phone, you're like, yeah, I don't wanna do that. Why, because you're trying so hard not to do the thing? No, because you're conscious of God. You're aware of this beautiful, wonderful man who himself is joy. (laughs) Come on, we need to be intoxicated in the spirit in this hour, why? So that we can be sober-minded in the Great Commission. Sober-minded to care for the church of God. Oh man, I feel his zeal this morning, and I'm not even close to my notes. That's okay. I have found personally that we need to give ourselves permission uh, to be glad in God. You have to give yourself permission. You. You have to be willing to repent or to change the way that you're thinking about the Christian faith. For too many, for too many years, for too long, we have accepted and tolerated a joyless Christianity. At some point, the gospel should make you glad. If in his presence there is, it should look like something. If Paul and Silas can be in prison singing hymns to God, you think they were doing that cuz they were supposed to? Hey, hey Silas. I, I feel like the right thing to do. I feel like the right I feel like we sh- you feel like we should do that. No, 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 no. These guys were possessed. They were like they were like we just got beaten for our faith. <laughs> do you remember when he said blessed are you when they persecute you and falsely rejoice, rejoice because they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You Hey, do you remember when he said that? I remember. We, this must be because we are associated, we're one with him. This wouldn't have happened if we didn't have union with Christ. Hallelujah and then a bomb goes off, and their chains break off, and the prison cells open. Come on! But for us, if that happened, it's like, hey, I think I need to go on sabbatical. These dudes, they put me in prison. I was there for six months. Come on! I don't want to diminish where we're at. I just want to appeal to us to come up higher. I'm not trying to make small of where we're at in our thinking. I'm trying to provoke you without needlessly offending you go to Genesis 3 I'm going to just leave you with this I want you to see this progression I mentioned this is really important this dot that that sin is at the root of all the chaos and confusion that you see okay so so please let us stop being impressed by evil impressed by darkness all of that, let's recognize that the biblical truth says that sin is at work through Adam and because death entered through sin, it spread to all men through this one man. But in like manner, righteousness comes to all men through Jesus Christ. You with me? So when you see sickness and disease and immorality and brokenness in all the manner, just think of it as a tree, and sin is the root of that tree. And if you can figure out a way, biblically, to deal with the root, eventually the fruit will wither up and die. All right, Genesis chapter 3, I want us to look at and examine how sin entered through Adam, so that you can get insight into where sin is still at work in your life. And here's what I believe. I believe that for many of us, God has subdued the external acts of sinfulness in many of our lives, praise God. If that's you, you're like, man, I'm not struggling with the same outward sins that I did years ago. Come on, raise your hand. Let me see your freedom. It's okay to be free in church. Okay. But here, I believe there is still Sin at work in the body of Christ that's preventing us from seeing God and responding rightly and I want you to see this All right, I'm gonna hurry because we're gonna I'm not gonna hurry, but I'm gonna hurry a little bit All right, are you in Genesis 3 say amen? I want you have to see this in your Bible and I'm gonna you're gonna leave here and you're gonna be like that What did that guy say you're like it's in the Bible? So read your Bible. I promise you It's why I'm gonna speak from the Bible Uh. Adam and Eve in the garden, Uh, we'll start in verse, uh, in verse six, this is Eve, so when the woman saw, say saw, Saw. she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the what? Delight to the what? And that the tree was desired to make one what? She took of its fruit. What did she do? She took the fruit. Did she receive the fruit? She took the fruit. She took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, my, 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 who was with her, and he ate. Now God had told Adam and he had told Adam, The day you eat of this tree, you'll surely die. So I'm reading my Bible, and I'm thinking the next verse is, and then they died. Look at verse 7. This is the first thing that happened to man after they sinned. It says, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Let me pause you right here. I thought their eyes were already opened because she saw that the tree was nice that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desired to make one wise. So the Bible is telling us that there was some aspect of Adam and Eve's sight that was blind prior to eating of this tree because the Bible wouldn't have told us that their eyes were opened if their eyes weren't previously closed. And what I believe happened, and I'm just sharing this for the sake of time, is that prior to eating of the what? The knowledge of good and evil, the only thing Adam and Eve were conscious of is God. All they could see, all they could see was God. They were like, hey, what do you know? People say, Hey, like, hey, what do you know? Oh, uh, God. Yeah. What's the good word? Uh God. Why do you look like that? Why are you smile all the time? You should see what I'm looking at. I'm looking at love himself. It's awesome. They were walking around in the garden and watch this. Did God make them naked? Genesis 2 24. The man and wife were both naked and they were. So is there anything wrong with Adam and Eve's nakedness? Was their nakedness a sin? Are you sure? Are you sure? I'm setting you up. Are you sure? (laughs) Watch. I want you to see this in your Bible. Don't, it, it, I'm reading the Bible. So, so the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve is their eyes opened and what did they know? They knew that they were naked. They became self-conscious, self-aware. So the fall of man produced a self-awareness. Adam and Eve Make no mistake, they disobeyed the command and that was sin, was it not? They disobeyed the command, that was sin and death began to spread in. But I want you to see how death began to spread. It started in the garden. They were still in the garden. They were still in the presence of God. And they knew that they were naked. They became self-aware. Their eyes were opened. They became self-conscious. And we know from the Bible that they began to judge themselves. Watch this. Keep reading. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Stay with the scripture. They knew that they were naked. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife did what? So God walks into the garden, and this is, this is man who sinned against God, who broke God's command, and, he, and, and they walk into the garden, and I would think that the Bible would say, and then God began to hide himself from mankind. That's how our most of our theology is. Man sinned, and then God began to hide himself from man. But the Bible says that, that man sinned, he knew he was naked, and God actually showed up into the garden where he had always shown up to be with man, but the Bible says, my Bible says that the first separation between God and man was not on God's end, it was Adam hiding himself from the presence of God. First with a fig leaf, and then physically withdrawing into the trees away from God. The first effect of sin was not God saying, you can't be close, it was man saying, I can't be close. Do you see it? Now pay attention, this gets worse. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of their garden. This is what I love about God, he's a wonderful father. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I don't believe it was, where are you? I believe it was, where are you? Why are you not where you've always met me before? God was still willing to meet with man. where are you? Watch this. This is profound. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you before God ever addressed anything. He just heard the rustling of God walk in. He heard the sound of God in the garden. Watch this. Oh my goodness. And Adam said, I was afraid. Why were you afraid, Adam? Because I was naked. Huh? Most of you read this narrative and you think Adam was afraid because he disobeyed the command and that he did something wrong, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The reason Adam hid from God is really, 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 really important. We project our knowledge of the situation onto the story. We think Adam hid from God because he was aware that he disobeyed God. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're aware that Adam disobeyed God, but Adam... The reason he hid, he says, the reason I hid from you and the reason I was afraid is because I was naked. If I was counseling Adam, I would say, hey, Adam, listen. Bro, you've really screwed this thing up for everybody. (laughs) But I got news for you, dude. You are hiding from God for the wrong reason. I see you hiding, I understand why you're hiding, but it's the wrong reason. There's nothing wrong with your nakedness. So what happened? Why the wires get crossed? Adam took his newfound knowledge of good and evil that he was never meant to have, looked at his nakedness, which was good in God's eyes, and he called it bad. This is one of the primary effects of sin running rampant in the body of Christ today is you're looking at your life calling bad what God calls good. Believers are judging themselves unclean, unworthy of God's love. Why? Because they're conscious of themselves. But the gospel intended to break you out of that hell, to break you out of that perpetual assessment and analysis of yourself and to, and to deliver you once and for all to where all you could see is a loving Father who's looking at you, who's not, who's not unjust. Listen, the, 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 God of, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's, he's both just and the justifier. So sin had to be dealt with. And I've got good news for you. It was. It was dealt with. You have permission from now until he comes home to trust yourself to his gaze. I'm telling you, the church is in a prison of her own self-consciousness. And we've created, we, we create ministries and we, and we somehow like marinate in this reality that allows people to stay self-conscious. And yeah, and, and we start applying principles and scriptures and yeah, I'm trying, I'm working on this, I'm working on this. Listen, the work of the cross is sufficient. Just touch it, get in tune with it. I have been crucified with Christ. Everything that was wrong with me was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. I have been buried with Christ. I've been resurrected to newness of life. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have a God who is on high, a great high priest who prays for me. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. Come on. This is what we believe. Don't you be distracted. I, I want to throw this table. I don't know why there's more of you not in the fetal position kicking stuff. I'm serious. Is this not? This is good news. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 4. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going. I'm just going to go. He says, listen. Listen, he says, He says, guys, it's a small thing that I'm judged by you or any human court. He says, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself. This is the Apostle Paul. But watch this. So what is he saying? He goes, my conscience is so clean towards me because I live with the lens of God and the gospel and what he's done on my behalf. He was clean. But watch this. This is so important. He goes... But that doesn't mean I'm thereby acquitted. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean everything I do is in step. He goes, it is the Lord who judges me. He goes, but watch this, do not pronounce judgment until the day, until Christ comes. What's he saying? He's saying, I live from this day of judgment on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm clean, and I'm going to live with my face upon a smiling father. The best I know how, I'm going to live my life knowing that I may stumble. I may fall, and as I'm looking at my papa, as I'm looking in covenant, this covenant of love with my father, I know that I know that I know that if I stumble, he gave me the spirit as a deposit. I don't need to go self-searching, self-analyzing. Holy Spirit's going to testify. Whoop, that wasn't right, and you're like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that, and you're just going to go, I repent of that. I'm a son of God. I was born of God. I'm going to overcome the world, and you keep walking with a clear conscience, free from the obsession of yourself, the obsession of your calling. So many people worried about your calling, your calling, your calling. You are called to be born again. What what better calling is, is there to be than to be born of God? I wonder why, I, I don't know why I stood up there. <laughs> I just like, uh, no, I'm so serious. If you get this calling to be born of God, every other calling is subservient to the calling to be born of God. Until you value it and like it and enjoy it, you will be, you will be tireless and depressed and, and anxious, Listen, I love being a husband, I love being a dad, I love getting to do what I do, I love coaching soccer, I love soccer, all the things. But my calling in life is to be born of God and to manifest as a son. And so when that's my calling, guess what? I can do that as a father, I can do that as a husband. If God says, hey, I want you to go do this, I can go do that and I'm not gonna be panicking because my calling is to be a son. And I'm not worried so much about my identity being wrapped up in what I do, but in who I've become in him. And so now I'm free and I don't have to compare myself to you or to someone else. I can actually celebrate you. I can look at someone in the marketplace making all kinds of money and I can go, man, that's awesome. Do you tithe? You know, <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> I pointed right at Mike. He does, he does No, he. you don't tithe. He just gives it all away. So listen, are you with me? Are you guys with me? I wish we had like another couple hours. We don't. We don't. Y'all say we do. We don't. We don't. Y'all play. Y'all play too much. Can y'all, can the band come back up? Can the band come back up, please? Um... So the progression of sin is that it started with knowledge, it opens your eyes, you become self-conscious, watch this, you become self-conscious, and then you hide from the presence of God. This is happening everywhere because we've been obsessed with the fruits of sin and we haven't addressed the root of sin, and that is the root. That progression is at the root of all sin. It's a knowledge that you were never meant to have that opens your eyes to yourself you become obsessed with self, and then you hide yourself from the presence of God with fig leaves and you pretend and you do all this, this business. But let me tell you this. The power of the gospel is very simply this. It's the knowledge of Christ that opens your eyes to him that produces a consciousness of God that allows you to abide in the presence of God. I didn't know what y'all were doing I realized they put my notes up there. I was like, "Y'all pay attention." <laughs> Do you see this? This happened in Luke 24. Stay with me. I'm just going to tell you this and then we're going to adore the Lord. Luke 24. Stay with me. Verse 30. Jesus is resurrected, and he's walking with a guy named Cleopas and another guy on the road to Emmaus. And and the Bible says that their eyes did not recognize him. So here a couple of guys are, they're walking with the resurrected Jesus, and they couldn't see him, but they were with him. They were, they were with him, they were with the resurrected Jesus. How many of you think you could be in the presence of the resurrected Jesus and maybe not know it? So they were walking with him, and Jesus begins to open the scriptures to them concerning himself. If i was the resurrected jesus i would have just been like (laughs) ta-da it's me but he didn't do that he actually pointed them to this and then he gets onto a table with them and the bible says he was at the table and he and he gave thanks for the bread and he broke the bread and he gave them the bread the bible says he gave them the bread he says he gave them the bread they didn't take the bread he gave them the bread, they didn't take the bread they took, they received the bread and the Bible says this and then their eyes were opened they ate the bread and all of a sudden their blindness to God from the garden through the broken bread (sighs) he gave it to them He gave it to them he finally gave them something to remedy their blindness to god and he says look he says look my broken body you no longer have to be obsessed with your body you can receive the bread which is my body and this is what i want you to fix your eyes their eyes were opened and they said did not our hearts burn within us What I'm believing this morning that the Father wants to do is He wants to destroy self-consciousness. He wants to destroy and break the endless cycle of self-judgment and self-assessment and self-awareness. And He wants to liberate you into the glorious freedom of beholding your Father. So just, just the best you know how. We've already eaten of the broken body we're gonna just take these last few minutes if you need to get your kids get them and bring them back but but don't miss this moment I really believe with all my heart that he's setting trajectories this morning he's changing the direction of your life and he's gonna bring you into the fullness of joy and so just give him your heart